0: In this past year, nearly 8 million people in this country took a giant step in their lives. They brought a baby into the world. They became parents. But how many of those 8 million people were prepared for parenthood is an entirely different matter. Take, for example, the man that was left in charge of his infant son while his wife went to the store. When the young lady returned, she found her son crying and the husband sweating. He was at a loss for what to do. She walked up to the crib and instantly detected the problem. One whiff, and she realized that the kid's diaper needed to be changed. It had been filled several times over. She moaned, Honey, why didn't you change his diaper? Well, the new dad, he held up a box of disposable Huggies and he pointed to the print on the package. It read, well, it says right here, good for up to 10 pounds. (laughs) Not all dads, or moms for that matter, are prepared for the rigors and challenges of being a parent. And I have no room to laugh. When my daughter Natalie was just a few weeks old, Kathy went out with friends And left me at home with Natalie. It was bedtime and my little girl was hungry. And so I fed her eight ounces of that sweet tasting Similac. Gave her her complimentary burp. We prayed together. I tucked my little princess into bed. Settled down in front of some Monday night football. When all of a sudden I heard these terrible, terrible sounds coming from her room. Gagging, gurgling noises. I rushed back to discover that Natalie had thrown up all eight ounces of the formula. I cleaned up my daughter, put fresh sheets on the crib. Then I walked into the the kitchen, still puzzled over what in the world did I do wrong? That's when I saw the can sitting on top of the garbage. Words were written on the label that I had never seen before. It said, concentrated, must add water. I had given my little girl eight ounces of undiluted, 100-proof Similac, the equivalent of 32 ounces of baby formula. If babies could sue for parental malpractice, she would have. Hey, entering the hospital to birth a baby is a thrilling new deal, but bringing that baby home from the hospital can be a chilling ordeal. All kinds of self doubts arise in your mind. Am I ready for the responsibility? Am I prepared to tackle these challenges? Do I have the wisdom and the know how to be a good parent? Here's a spoof I ran across entitled Preparation for Parenting. Supposedly, if you really want to prepare yourself to be a parent, here's what you should do first, go to the supermarket. Arrange for your salary to be paid directly to the cashiers for the next 18 years. (laughs) Buy a newspaper, then read it for the last time. To discover how nights are spent as a parent, walk around the living room from 5 to 10 p.m. carrying a wet bag weighing approximately 8 to 12 pounds. At 10 p.m., put the bag down. Set the alarm for midnight. Go to sleep. Get up at midnight and walk around the room again with the wet bag until 1 a.m. Put your alarm on for 3 a.m. Since you can't get back to sleep, wake up at 2 a.m. Pour yourself a glass of milk. Go to bed at 2.45 a.m. Get up at 3 a.m. when the alarm goes off. Sing songs in the dark until 4 a.m. Put the alarm on for 5 a.m. Get up, make breakfast, keep this up for five years, look cheerful. (laughs) Here's how to practice dressing your child once he's born. Buy an octopus in a bag. (laughs) Attempt to put the octopus in the bag so none of its arms hang out. (laughs) To practice grocery shopping with a child in tow, go to the market with a fully grown goat. Buy your groceries and don't let the goat out of your sight. Pay for everything that the goat eats or destroys. <laughs> and here's how to practice feeding your 12-month-old. Hollow out a melon. Make a small hole in the side. Hang it from the ceiling on a rope. Swing it from side to side. Now get a bowl of soggy oatmeal and attempt to spoon it into the swaying melon by pretending to be an airplane. (laughs) Continue until half the oatmeal is gone. Tip the rest of the oatmeal into your lap, making sure lots of it falls on the floor. And that's just preschoolers. Wait until they become teenagers. Hey, I'll let you in on a little secret. Nobody is really prepared to be a parent. Parenting requires lots and lots of on-the-job training. In fact, it's been said, parenting is the one job where by the time you're experienced at it, you're unemployed. And yet all the feelings of inadequacy don't make the job any less important. Hey, ready or not, you're a parent. And as a parent, you are shaping the world you'll live in and the one you'll leave behind. You're impacting the future of this world by how you treat your child. A parent has enormous power and incredible responsibility. When you pick up your baby, you realize you're holding unlimited potential in your arms. Louis Pasteur put it this way, When I approach a child, he inspires in me two sentiments, tenderness for what he is and respect for what he may become. One Sunday morning at church, we had a heckler. A lady just couldn't believe that I would make the suggestion that a mom's top priority should be to raise her kids. I didn't realize such an idea was so inflammatory. But in the middle of the service, she jumps right up and she starts shouting at me, well, you just stay home and clean those smelly diapers. Well, it just so happened that the day before I had Kathy had taken the day off and she'd left me with our baby. And from the pulpit, I looked that woman straight in the eye and I said, that is exactly what I did yesterday and it is the most strategic job on earth. That child with the messy diapers might just be the world's next great evangelist or the scientist who uncovers the cure for cancer or the next evil dictator. And the direction he takes largely depends on my input. It went so well, somebody accused me of actually staging the whole event <laughs> and planning her in the audience. Not so. But it's true. Parents, you parents, you're part of a special power block working behind the scenes of the world to shape man's destiny. Well, my parenting days are now come and gone. My youngest son is 22 years old. Once I was asked, if I had it to do all over again, would I do the job differently? And of course I would. Good grief. I'm wiser at 56 than I was at 25. But I will say this. I couldn't have given my parenting any more effort. I can honestly say I left it all on the field. I could have done better, but I couldn't have tried harder. You don't always realize that when you bring that baby home from the hospital, But a parent's time to influence their child is limited. You blink, and boom, it's gone. Well, for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about parenting. And before I start, I want to issue the disclaimer that I always give when I speak on this subject. Here it is. When it comes to kids, there are no guarantees. I'm going to say that again. When it comes to kids... There are no guarantees. And this isn't because God isn't powerful, or that prayer isn't effectual, or that the Bible isn't infallible. It's because your kids are human, and all humans have a free will. As parents, we do our best. We try to be wise, but at the end of the day, our child has to decide how he or she will live their life. Like it or not, this is the way God made it. Reminds me of country singer Barbara Mandrell. Barbara was a devout, a devout Christian and a conscientious mother. When her son Nathan was an infant, she would sing to him often. She sang him three songs as he was a baby. She sang him, Jesus loves me. This is the day the Lord has made. And Jesus loves the little children. And Barbara always wondered which of those three songs Nathan would sing first. It was none of the above. In fact, to her disappointment, she says the first song she heard little Nathan sing was the tune, All My Exes Live in Texas. (laughs) Well, all parents need to understand that there are no guarantees when it comes to raising kids. I mean, think of God himself. He was the perfect father, and yet both his kids, Adam and Eve, still rebelled. I mean, God did everything right. Yet his kids took a wrong turn. Once there was a mother, she was hurried. She was hassled. She had dinner guests arriving soon. It was her husband's family, and she wanted to make a good impression. At dinner that night, she told her little girl to ask the blessing. Of course, her daughter was intimidated. Mommy, what do I say? (laughs) Well, this mom should have just left it alone right there. But she was hoping to impress her dinner guests. With one of those sweet, precious prayers that her daughter often prayed. And so she said, honey, just say the last prayer you heard mommy pray. (laughs) The little girl bowed and said, oh Lord, why in the world did I invite all these people over for dinner? (laughs) I mean, with kids, you never know what to expect. Parenting is a risky, scary proposition. When you sign up for the task, you realize things can go wrong here. I mean, the world we live in is a wicked place. Predators roam the streets. Temptation abounds. Our kids grow up surrounded by snares that we can't control. Satan attacks from the outside. Sin pulls from the inside. There comes a point when parents can no longer control their children's circumstances. And it's up to the child to make wise choices. And when that time comes, some mistakes are inevitable. As I said, when it comes to raising kids, there are no guarantees. But here's what I can promise you, parents. When a parent consults the Bible and adopts God's purpose and parents with God's power, the odds increase dramatically that your kid will turn out okay. In so doing, it's far more probable that your child will know God and walk with God, and even live to glorify God. Here's the good news. God hasn't left us in the dark. We're not on our own. God is the perfect father. He is the one parent who does know what he's doing, and he's given us insights to make our parenting effective. Here in Ephesians 6, we find that the first four verses contain Paul's principles for parenting. Verses 1 through 3 set out the purpose of a parent. And then verse 4 addresses the do's and don'ts. Let's read our text together. Beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And then he says to parents, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Here's how we're going to break down these four verses. This week, we're going to discuss a parent's purpose. Next week, we'll look at a parent's tools. And then finally, we'll note a parent's avoidances. And there's a method to my madness. You're the parent. I'm the teacher, together we have this association that makes for a PTA, a parent-teacher association. And here's our outline. P is for purpose, T is for tools, and A is for avoidances. It's a PTA. And this morning we're going to start with a parent's purpose. Have you noticed that some people are parents by default? I mean, just having a kid doesn't make you a real parent. What makes a parent is a God-given purpose. C.R. C. R. Snyder, he writes of two dads on two separate airplane flights that he happened to observe. First was Jenny and her dad. Snyder figured that Jenny was about three years old. It was her first flight. And the dad was as excited about it as Jenny. He explained that the loud noises were coming from the engines. As the force of the takeoff pushed them back in their seats, dad whispered, honey, I'll hold your hand. It was obvious that she trusted him wholeheartedly. In fact, this dad turned the whole trip into a learning experience. But Snyder tells of another flight and a different parent and child. Teddy, too, was about three years old. And after Dad buckled him in, he ordered him, Now sit there and be quiet. Daddy's going to sleep. And sleep he did for the entire flight. At times, the little boy was noticeably frightened. But Dad was oblivious to his fears. The slumbering Dad ignored his child's thoughts, his needs, his questions. No words or touches were exchanged. In a real sense, Teddy was flying alone. You see, just because you sit next to the seat, in the seat next to your child at breakfast, just because you sleep in the room down the hall from your child, that doesn't mean that your child isn't flying alone. Parenting needs to be intentional and deliberate. All parents need a purpose. And we find that purpose here in Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 1, Paul gives two commands to children. They're to obey and honor their parents. And then he provides two reasons for these two commandments. First, obedience makes sense. Notice, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Hey, this is just the right thing to do. Generally speaking, parents are much wiser than their kids. A parent has been around the block a time or two. He or she knows stuff that the kid doesn't. Why should a kid learn everything the hard way? You see, obeying your parents just makes sense. And then the second reason for a child to obey is that it carries with it a promise. Paul writes in verse 1 that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Hey, a child who obeys and honors his parents will probably live longer and live better. God is the only person who loves that child more than his parents. Thus, a child will minimize their dangers in life and maximize their enjoyments just by listening to their mom and dad. Proverbs 30 verse 17 is a favorite verse of mine. It should be every father's favorite verse. In fact, parents should teach this verse to their children, especially when those kids become teenagers. Here's a great verse for a testy teen. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. What a great verse for a teenager. When your kid bucks and kicks and rebels, warn them, they better stay inside the house. If you don't obey your parents, you could be walking down the sidewalk and a flock of birds land on you and knock you to the ground and start picking out your eyeballs. If it happens to you, son, don't say, I didn't warn you. Every time a bird flies over the head of a rebellious teenager while swooping down on the kid and pecking out his eyes from its sockets, God is showing that child mercy. Of course, I'm being a little facetious here. But the correct interpretation of this proverb makes the same point. It's really saying that a rebellious child is prone to make foolish and costly mistakes. And as a result, that child could die at a young age. And having so alienated the people who once loved them, there might be no one left to give them a decent burial. And so in ancient times, they would just throw his carcass out as food to the vultures. But the point of the interpretation is the same, is it not? You'll live longer and you'll live better if you obey your parents. There's one other reason why kids should obey their parents. We learn to obey and honor God by first obeying and honoring our parents. It's a picture. You see, God uses our relationship with our parents to deepen our relationship with Him. I mean, how can a person submit to God, an authority they can't see, if they're unable to submit to the authority that they can see, their parents? Loads of people today have a hard time obeying God because they never learn obedience to their parents. I view my children's obedience to me not as an end in itself, I'm not some power-hungry parent on an ego trip. I've never bullied my kids just so I could feel like I was in control. No, I love my kids. With all my heart, I love them. And I always saw their obedience and respect toward me as the first step toward them learning how to obey and respect the Lord. On the surface, Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 3 are instructions addressed to children, not parents. But I take these verses as also verses that communicate a parent's purpose. I mean, if a child is supposed to obey and respect, then shouldn't a parent's job be to teach them how to obey and respect? To me, this is foundational. The purpose of a parent is to teach their children obedience and respect. Understand, obedience and respect for one's parents are not traits that come naturally to us. Obedience and respect have to be taught and instilled and insisted upon. And thus the obligation that God places upon children becomes the purpose of their parents. Again, the job of every parent is to teach their kids obedience and respect. Feeding. Clothing, protecting, educating, training, entertaining your child are all part of parenthood. But parent, if you're not teaching your child obedience and respect, you're not doing the job. A parent's primary purpose is not to win their kid's friendship or make their kid happy. It's to teach that child obedience and respect. And that's true if your child is 15 months old or 15 years old. God puts no statute of limitations on his command. Obedience and respect should be lifelong traits. Now it's impossible to be the parent that God desires you to be until you realize a basic truth. And that is this. Your kids are little sinners. They are born rebels. They exit the wound, defiant and self-centered. You don't teach a baby to cry when it doesn't get its way. I have four kids and laboratory findings reveal. Selfishness is a natural trait. Recently, I ran across an instructive document. It's entitled, Property Law from a Toddler's Perspective. Law number one. If I like it, it's mine. Law number two, if I can take it away from you, it's mine. Number three, if I had it a while ago, it's mine. Number four, if I say it's mine, it's mine. Number five, if it looks like mine, it's mine. Number six, if I say I saw it first, it's mine. Number seven, if you're having fun with it, it's mine. Number eight, if you lay it down, it's mine. And lastly, if it's broken, it's yours. (laughs) Hey, when kids are born, they have no respect for other people, nor are they willing to obey standards that limit their behavior. Children are greedy and selfish and totally preoccupied with three people, me, myself, and I. Parents, your children are sinful little buzzards. Now, granted, this may not be obvious at first, I mean, you bring that newborn home, and and he or she looks so cute and so precious and innocent and tender and adorable. But you got to know that deep down inside, your baby is in reality a diabolical, ruthless, sinister sinner dressed incognito. (laughs) The Minnesota Commission on Crime was established to study the spiraling rates of crime in Minnesota. Here's an excerpt from their findings. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch. Deny these and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He is in fact dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no skills, this means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in the self-centered world of his infancy, given free rein to his impulsive actions to satisfy his wants, every child would grow up to be a criminal, a thief, a killer, a rapist. Understand, parents, your child resembles two people. And I'm not talking about his mother and his father. First, the Bible teaches us that human beings were made in God's image and in God's likeness. According to Psalm 139, every boy and girl has been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. All human beings bear the stamp of God upon their life. But your child also resembles another person. And that is the first man, Adam. For he too was made in God's image, but something went terribly wrong. In Genesis chapter 5 verse 3 we're told Adam begot a son in his own likeness after his own image. Notice that in Adam the image of God was dominant. But in his son he more closely resembled Adam. The Bible teaches that Adam's sin marred God's image in both himself and in his offspring Adam bit the forbidden fruit and made a choice for all mankind. That through Adam, sin passed down to all humanity. And due to his sin, now you and I and all kids are born with a nature that opposes God. Hey, we are rebels from the womb. You see, this is why your child resembles two people. Despite his sin, your child still bears in him the marks of God. The marks of God's creation, his intelligence and creativity and initiative, her conscience and moral center, their spirituality and hunger for meaning and truth, these are all traits embedded in their nature by the hand of God. But the Adams family is a good thing gone bad. You see, one bad apple can spoil a whole bunch. Adam's sin also made pride and selfishness a human trait. It robbed us of what God intended. And now if left by their lonesome, your child will disobey and go his own way. That's why if he or she is going to learn obedience and respect, they have to be taught it by their parents. And to effectively parent a child, both resemblances have to be kept in view by that parent. Help your child identify their God-given traits and personality. Rejoice in the talents and characteristics with which he or she has been blessed. But at the same time, parent, realize that there's always a rebellion bubbling up under the surface of your child. It could explode at any moment. That's why every child needs parents in his or her life who will insist on their obedience and their respect. Now, understand when Paul uses the word obey in verse 1, it's a translation of a Greek word which means to hear under or to listen to attentively. Thus, the first step in teaching obedience to your child is to cultivate in them a listening ear. If you want children to obey you, they first need a willingness to listen to you, they have to be eager to receive. I like this saying, parents need to talk to their kids in a way that will encourage them to listen and listen to their kids in a way that will encourage them to talk. Parents, imagine a 12-foot giant hovering over you with a scowl on his or her face. That giant is angry and upset and it's clear that you are the object of his frustration. If you were faced with that kind of scenario, your inclination wouldn't be to sit down and hear what he had to say. It wouldn't be to sit down for a little chat. No, if you were face-to-face with such a giant, you'd want to run for for the hills. You'd want to get out of Dodge. I mean, you'd run for your life. Well, when a six-foot-tall parent hovers over a three-foot-tall toddler... That's how that child is going to perceive that parent. The same way that you might perceive the giant who's hovering over you. And if you're obviously angry and frustrated, don't expect your child to eagerly want to sit still and listen to what you have to say. Parents, if you want your kids to obey, they have to hear. And I mean hear more from you than just your words. Do they hear your heart? Did they sense your love for them? Do you stoop down to their level and communicate in ways they can grasp? And of course here Jesus is our example. I mean God could have remained in his lofty perch, removed from our predicament. Instead he took on flesh and blood and he became one of us. He descended to our level. He stepped down into our shoes. And this is the way we should approach our children We should communicate in relatable ways. I remember watching Peter Jennings years ago on the ABC World News tonight. After each broadcast, he would pick up the telephone. One time he explained why. He said, I don't like news anchors who just sit there and shuffle papers. So I got in the habit of picking up the phone. And guess who he called? He said, well, sometimes I called the producers to see if they liked the show. But just as often, I'd call my children and tell them I was on my way home for dinner. I thought that was so great. I mean, after he gave news to the world, Peter Jennings engaged in his most vital communication. He called his kids. Likewise, all parents need to stop shuffling papers for a while and focus on communicating with their children. You see, even when a child grows to the point where they can look a parent eye to eye, communication is still the key. Cultivate a listening relationship with your child and they'll hear your heart and be more inclined to obey. When Natalie reached dating age, we had a rule in our house. Before she could date a guy, I had to meet him. And it wasn't so much because of the information that I would glean from meeting the boy. Usually all... Fifteen-year-old boys are punks. I kind of knew where he was coming from already. I I knew what what the guy was thinking. No, the reason we had these encounters was what he could glean about me. That I was a grown man. That I had some physical stature. That I was proficient in firearms. (laughs) That I would do whatever it took to defend my family. He needed to know that. And I'll never forget the first of these boys. This guy wanted to take Natalie to the homecoming dance. And so we met at Ruckers up here on Highway 124 back, I guess it's closed down now, but back when Ruckers was serving burgers. And we talked a little bit, and then I drove him home. But as we got into the car, I said to him, I said, son, give me your wallet. Well, he was a little unsure, but he really wasn't in a place to argue. And so he pulled his wallet out, and he handed it over to me. I took his wallet, and I stuck it in my pocket. When we got to his house in Grayson, he started to get out of the car. And that's when I pulled, he'd forgotten about his wallet. He was a little intimidated. And that's when I pulled his wallet out of my pocket and I handed it back to him. But before I turned it loose, I told him, Son, I appreciate you trusting me with something as important to you as your wallet. And you'll find that I'm returning it to you in exactly the same condition it was in when I took it. Now I'm trusting you with something much more valuable to me than a wallet and I expect it return in exactly the same shape it was in when you left with it. Well, my instructions were both heard and obeyed and I think effective communication had a big part in the outcome. You see, too often we parents, we only react to our kids. We we only talk to them Well, really, we more talk at them than talk to them. We talk to them without really thinking through what we need to say. We're reactionary. I think the key to instilling obedience in our kids is to get their ear by communicating to them in wise and in compelling ways to think through what we want to say and how we want to say it. Realize, too, it's possible for a child to obey a parent without respecting them. This is why obedience is just half the goal. A parent's purpose is to teach their child respect as well as obedience. As Paul puts it, to honor his parents. Don't settle for mere obedience without respect. When, with my kids, I was as quick to address and correct a bad attitude as I was a bad behavior. Maybe even quicker. I've seen parents bribe or threaten their kids to obey. Such an approach may get a desired result, but it doesn't teach the child the importance of respect. It reminds me of the boy who misbehaved in school. He was made to stand in the corner, but all the while he was seething under his breath. He was saying, I might be standing on the outside, but I'm sure sitting on the inside. That's obedience without respect. The Greek word translates in verse 2 as honor, literally means to prize. Parents, do your kids prize you? Have you taught them to value their parents? When Zach was a Todd, I asked him one day what he liked most about his dad. He said, ah, when you wrestle with me. I said, well then son, what do you like least about your dad? And his reply was obvious, when you spank me. And then I asked him what he liked most about his mom. He said, when she cooks me breakfast, I felt daring that day, wanted to kind of live life on the edge. And so I asked again, okay, son, what do you like least about your mom? Zach thought for a long minute, and I'll never forget, he said, dad, everything mom does is good. (laughs) That's a son who honors his mom. Hey, here's the key when it comes to teaching kids to honor their parents. Parent, nothing you do will yield the results that you desire if you don't act and speak in honorable ways. If you want your parents to honor you, you want your children to honor you, parents, then be honorable. Don't you dare be a parent who says, do what I say and not what I do. Your kids deserve better than that. That's a recipe for disaster. Disaster. Parents are an example whether they want to be or not. In family life, values and truths are more caught than they are taught. Every parent influences their child for better or for worse. I got a nasty habit. When I'm out in the yard, I like to spit. I make no apologies for it. I just enjoy a good spit. (laughs) Kathy hates it, but I don't even think about it anymore Over the years, it's become a habit. I'll never forget, many years ago now, I was round in the corner. I had Zach and Natalie and Nick all in tow. That's when Zach spit and Nick spit. And oh my. Then my precious, adorable little princess, she clears her throat of saliva and Natalie blows out a big wad of spit. (laughs) Now fast forward 25 years. A couple of weeks ago, Quincy's at the house, and guess what he does? He looks up and he says, look, gee, daddy I spit. <laughs> Lo and behold, I have passed on my bad habits now to the third generation. <laughs> hey, what are you teaching your kids? For whether you desire it or not, a child will mimic his or her parents' If you want your kids to honor you, parents, then you need to act in honorable ways. Well, except for church these days, a parent doesn't get a lot of help from this world when it comes to fulfilling their purpose. Media moguls and advertising agencies and film producers and video game creators and music labels aren't real interested in teaching your kid obedience and respect. In fact, just the opposite is true. They spend millions of dollars advocating rebellion and disdain for authority. Your children's classmates and peers, even their public schools, aren't really helping either. Other than the church, parents today are operating in a hostile environment. Parents today, they need purpose and they need determination. It reminds me of Deborah Kemp's ordeal. It began when she rolled her car into the self-service pumps. Her six-year-old daughter, Ashley, was in the back seat. When Deborah walked around her car to begin pumping gas, suddenly a man climbed into the driver's seat of her vehicle. He was trying to steal her car. The 34-year-old woman said later, I didn't try to be a hero. I was just concerned about my baby. That was part of me in that car. Well, as the man drove off, Deborah somehow managed to grab the door. And she clinged to the steering wheel by reaching her hand inside the window. The thief drove several blocks, dragging her knees on the pavement as she held on to that steering wheel. Drawing on a hidden reservoir of strength, Deborah was somehow able to hang on. And as the car was still moving, she was able to open the door and she grabbed the thief and she pulled him out of the vehicle. When this would be thief hit the ground, Deborah grabbed her club, the anti theft device that she kept under the front seat, and she started beating the bad guy. Witnesses say that the man was apologizing and begging Deborah to stop as she clubbed him with the club. (laughs) The moral of the story don't mess with a parent. Debbie Kemp, skit knees and all, is one parent who's willing to put up a fight for her family. And this is what every parent should be willing to do. We live in a world full of disobedience and disrespect. And it'll rub off on your kids if their parents don't put up a fight. Our world is a hostile place to raise kids. We need a purpose. And then we need the tools to accomplish that purpose. And that's what we're going to talk about next Sunday morning. A parent's tools. In closing, it was May the 30th, 1982, when God gave to my wife Kathy a prophecy. She was at a prayer meeting with some other pastors' wives when God spoke through one of the ladies and said, By this time next year, you'll have a child. Well, my firstborn Zach came into the world exactly 364 days later, just in the nick of time according to the prophecy, on May the 29th, 1983. Prior to that amazing prophecy, Kathy and I had been trying for two years to have a child, but with no success, that's when God saw fit to open my wife's womb. And I mean wide open. I tease her now, Baron Karen became Fertile Myrtle. What well, we couldn't get started, now we couldn't get stopped. And four years later, or four kids later, there was no doubt that God had intended for us to be parents. You know, there are very few pursuits in my life that I can say with certainty were sanctioned by God. Very few. I've never been given a divine mandate to work in my yard. God has never said, Sandy, play golf. Or piddle on your computer. I've never heard. Thus saith the Lord. Sandy read the newspaper. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. That I have been called by God. To parent my four kids. And if you're a parent. You have been called by God. To do the same. And here's the question. Have you been parenting by default. Or do you parent your child. With God's purpose in mind. You see, just birthing a child doesn't make you an effective parent. The difference is a purpose. We've only got one shot at this. Parents, let me encourage you to do it right. Are you teaching your children obedience and respect?